0: Scripture passage this morning is taken from the last few verses of 2 Corinthians 13. I'll read the passage. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that you may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. (coughs) Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.
0: Please pray. We thank you, Lord, that in our world, where so often the one who speaks the loudest is the one who gets listened to, your word is timeless. And it's true. And it has been given to us. As we contemplate the final words that the Apostle Paul speaks to First Church of Corinth, his counsel is for restoration for comfort in tribulation, a desire to live in peace, the same peace that we read about in the beginning of this service. As Pastor Andrew shares with us what you laid on his heart this past week, may we be attentive, taking the comfort and community we seek here at Christ Church beyond the walls and into the world that you have placed us in. May we be agents of chains for desiring peace. It is our prayer, Lord, that we go beyond peace on earth to peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. And knowing that you can only be pleased with people who are righteous. A righteousness only found in Christ Jesus. That is in his name that I pray. Amen. Please be seated.
1: Thanksgiving weekend to you. It's good to be together and open God's Word. Uh, John hit all the high notes in his prayer, uh, so we're done. (laughs) It's always good to know uh, at least one person is listening. Uh, I appreciate that. There is very much a sort of a wraparound with with this passage. You know, Paul's beginnings and endings are, are really important in his letters. Oftentimes, we just kind of blow right through them in, in various ways um, and, and miss a, a lot of the meat of what he is saying. But if you remember, when we started this series back in 2 Corinthians a number of weeks ago now, you know, we talked about the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort others who are in affliction. And, and here as we come to the very last verses of Second Corinthians, Paul returns to that theme, and he returns to it not merely individualistically, Uh, But he definitely returns to it in the context of community. Uh, You see that in a number of different ways, and we're going to walk through it this morning. I'm actually going to focus on the last three or four verses, uh, the final greetings, 11 to 14, and, and draw our outline from there. But we want to ask this question about community and comfort, you know, how, how do those things work together and how are we as individuals more fully drawn into it? Some of you uh, I know are familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, his classic work, Life Together. Uh, he talks about the building of, of true community. A lot of it was born out of uh, their, their seminary work in Germany during uh, the time of World War II and uh, the ways that they were forced to, to live together. And one of the things that he says about community is that in order for true community to take place, we must die to what he calls our, our wish dreams, With regards to that community. Basically, as far as I can understand it, what he's talking about are our own expectations of what that community should look like, uh, and particularly our own expectations of what that community should look like for us. Listen to some thoughts that he shares. Innumerable times, a whole Christian community has broken down because it has sprung from a wish dream. The serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christian life together should look like, and then they try to realize it. But God's grace, and this is such an interesting phrase, speedily shatters such dreams, such as Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate, with ourselves. Uh, So very powerful words there about being, uh, overcoming the disillusionment that we might have, and the disappointment that we have with our own expectations of community. He goes on, by sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in this dream world. He does not abandon us to those rapturous experiences and lofty moods that come over us like a dream. God is not a God of the emotions, but the God of truth. Only that fellowship which faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. Bonhoeffer sums it up by saying, he who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his or her personal in- intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. These ideas, I feel like Paul or uh, Bonhoeffer could have been reading 2 Corinthians, uh, and particularly this end, because he deals, you know, Paul is dealing with the disillusionment of community, uh, in a very real way, as they have been uh, at a severe test with one another, Paul and the Corinthians, and yet he is calling people to the very community that they may be disillusioned with, and he is calling them to step into that and to share it, to open it up in very real, authentic ways, and so I want to walk through it. This morning and, and just point out some characteristics of community. Uh, like I said, borrowing primarily from 11 to 13, but then actually working backwards. I uh, have the welcoming community, the truthful community, and the joyful community. You could attach some questions to this, you know, what does this community look like, the welcoming community? What is this community based on, the truth? Uh, and and where does the power for this kind of community come from? It's the joy that is ours in Christ. So let's start with the welcoming community. Look at verse twelve and thirteen. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints uh, greet you. Here is a a big community. All the saints. Uh, Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Now, remember, when Paul is writing to Corinth, he's writing to a largely Gentile church in in the uh, European world, right? Uh, This is different than the Jewish church that was over in Palestine. Uh, This is different in in many ways from the Macedonian church, some of which were poor and under extreme uh, affliction, as we saw earlier in this book. You know, this church, this Corinthian church, was wealthy, it was secular, it was powerful in so many ways. And yet, Paul here is painting a a picture of community in which all are embraced. Uh, I know that this word has been co-opted in different ways, but it's an inclusive community. Uh, There is no exclusivity in the truly Christian community. Uh, Nobody is, is set out. There are no private groups uh, there are no places where uh, some can go and others can't go. There's no mysteries. You don't have to you know, have a certain card to get in. Uh, you are uh, all one, and Paul emphasizes that in so many ways. This, this is what it means to be the community. If you are a lover of Jesus... And if you want to continue to grow, if you want to continue to pursue him, you are welcome here no matter what your background might be. No matter if you are uh, black, white, brown, we tend to think in terms of ethnicity so much in our world today, even while at the same time, the, you know, we, we are not just a homogenous group of people. Uh, even in Grand Rapids, it's, it's so changing over the years. It's one of the things that struck me, being gone 17 years, coming back to Grand We are not a homogenous group of people. People move around, and so ethnically, culturally, Paul is saying these things are not barriers. It is an inclusive community. But then even going beyond that, and we absolutely need to press beyond that because we're all different people. We're we're marked by our families of origin. We're marked by the opportunities that we've had in different places. We have people that come to the faith uh, out of having been marked by hatred and racism. Uh, We have people that come to the faith having struggled with alcoholism and drug abuse. We have people that come to the faith in the midst of struggles with same-sex attraction and all sorts of things. There are all kinds of things that mark who we are, uh, for better or for worse, uh, part of our struggles or, or part of the areas where we see victory in our life. And Paul says, all, all of the saints greet one another. There's no distinction here uh, for truly the community. Uh, You are to embrace all of them and not turn your back on them. This is such a beautiful picture of what makes this so different than anything else in the world. I mean, there's very, uh, very few other places where you find this type of radical and real inclusivity. Uh, there are very few places, seems like every other place, it's, it, it's like-minded groups, it, it's like-oriented uh, groups, and, and we say, no, the gospel breaks down all of those things, and when we come to the community, it's one of the reasons why comfort can be shared, is because we all know the need for comfort. You know, I may have found it at the core differently than you found it, but I found it the same in Christ Jesus. And and so we come and we share those things in our humility, in the overcoming of our joy. And Paul says, this is a characteristic of the community of God, And, and it is not to be divided. You know, we, we need to practice this. And this is what he means when he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. You know how many times I've read that or you've read that in, in your scriptures? Um, always they're like, well, it was sort of cultural in those days. It's the way that they did it, it's kind of akin to a handshake. That's actually not true. Uh, and, and I really discovered that afresh this week. Like, this, this was not something that they did. It was something that uh, immediate family practiced on occasions like if you were gone for a period of time, uh, you would come home and the immediate family would greet you with what is called a holy kiss. And it's so interesting to me that, that Paul says this here. Uh, Paul says, look at This is what it's like when you come together in community. You are family and you are so happy and relieved to see these who you love the most and who you are bonded to the most, that you greet one another with this holy kiss. That there is such an expression among us of joy, and maybe even relief. You know, travel in those days was not like travel now. We have a few inconveniences, but generally we know that when we go, we'll come back. You know, travel in those days was not like that. And and so there was a, a relief when you got home and a welcoming back. I am so glad to see you because I know that the journey has been hard. You ever feel like that when you walk into worship? on Sunday, and and you see these? Do you feel like you can say, you know what, I'm so glad to see you because my journey has been hard. Your journey has been hard. And, And to greet one another in that way, you know, we talk about inclusivity. You can talk about intimacy. You know, there is an intimacy that Paul is saying exists among the community, and we are to relish that. You know, even the kiss idea, Athenagoras, who was one of the early church fathers, he said that anybody who goes into this kiss with less than pure motives will be eternally damned. Uh, <laughs> pretty strong words there. I might take issue with that. But lest you think, like this was a cultural thing that nobody even thought about, right? You know, he, Paul is saying you know, something radical here. All people with this level of intimacy, and again, think about just the differences, think about the differences that exist among us, and how important, you know, this type of greeting, this type of welcome might be in the life. Of somebody else, one of our brothers. This might be the most important thing. It might make all the difference in the world. Jonathan Merritt uh, is a writer. Um, he's a fairly, uh, he, he's an evangelical Christian. He's been published in, in various ways, in, including like op-eds in the USA Today and that type of thing. He's a son of Uh, an evangelical pastor, also a rather well-known individual. About five years ago, uh, part of Jonathan's story came out in a very, uh, very public way. He is a young man that, uh, through a variety of things, and you can read more about him, has struggled with same-sex attraction uh, he had an unwise uh, and sinful liaison uh, with a person, uh, and that person published it uh, all over. Uh, this was a, you know, obviously deep shame uh, to, to Jonathan, something that he struggled, he didn't want, uh, he, he repented, it was, you know, so, but it's all out there, Right. And uh, how, was, how were his friends going to respond? How was the church going to respond to him? These are all questions that he had, and these are questions that we have as well in various ways when we, you know, when we sin, whether it's through heterosexual sin or divorce or any of these public things that tend to mark us in the community, right? We ask, how are we going to be comforted. Well, he tells a story about, you know, soon after this happened, he came home and there were a bunch of cars uh, lining his street. And as he went into his home, he found uh, his brothers and sisters in Christ there. Uh, And they were there to to pray with him and pray for him. Here's how he writes it. I sat cross-legged in the floor of my living room. My friends surrounded me laying their hands on my back and shoulders, grasping my arms. One by one, they prayed for grace and mercy and strength and divine presence. Hot tears fell off their cheeks and landed on my neck and arms, mingling with mine as they ran down. That evening, I became more me than I'd ever been. For once, I I wasn't trying to you know, brush up and burnish my surface to create an alternate version of myself that was more acceptable or likable, I was finally able to lower my shoulder, drop my mask, and just exist in the present moment. That's a holy kiss. There is an intimacy and a belonging that is there That speaks to us in the moment. And and what, what Paul is saying here is this is what community looks like. This is what we press into. You know, that's one example. Again, we have so many things that mark us. You know, as parents who are watching kids struggle, sometimes we are marked for our parenting. You know, we feel like we don't belong. We feel like we are being judged. You know, and Paul says, look at, greet one another with a holy kiss. Bring them into the fellowship. You know, shower them with the intimacy that belongs to those who are shaped by Christ. And that's where we go next. Uh, a, 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 a true community is a truthful community. You, you see that all throughout this chapter, don't you? Uh, I mean, the chapter is a warning, right? Paul is saying, the first 10 verses in particular, he's saying, look it, you know, I, I am coming and, and we are going to be judged based on God's word. We are going to be judged based on the truth. He says that, is it verse 8, where he says, uh, we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. And this is what he is getting at when he says, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, and live in peace, shalom, and the God of love and peace will be with you. What does he mean when he says, agree with one another? There are a couple interesting uh, translation notes in here. I'll get to them in a minute. Uh, But agree with one another may not mean exactly what you think it to mean. Like It it doesn't necessarily mean that we all need to share the same opinions on everything. Uh, what, What Paul seems to be saying here is give attention to the same thing. Uh, That would be a a way to translate what he is saying. He's saying pursue, right? So when we talk about it's a truthful community, we're truthful with each other, pursue the same thing. And clearly, he's talking about the Scriptures. You know, that we need to be pursuing the truth of what the Scriptures proclaim. Brothers and sisters, and this is such a, a... you know, our, our life together, it's not about what I feel or what you feel. It's not about what I think or you think. It's not about, you know, best theological systems. It's not about a program. It's not about a philosophy of ministry. It's about what the scriptures say. And, and this is one of the things that we will absolutely stand on here at Christ Church. You know, when it comes to our community, when it comes to how we figure things out, how do we deal with political differences between us? How do we deal with, you know, what we think about those who are struggling with this addiction or that addiction? It is always going to come back to what does the Scripture say? And this is what is going to show. And this is what Paul is saying. Look at Pursue the same thing with one another. Agree with one another that the Scriptures are the things that set our course. And, and, and that's what Paul is saying you know, throughout this, right? The, these first ten verses, like, it's not me that's judging you. It's not you that's judging me. But it's what the Scriptures say. Therefore, I am glad, Paul says, when I am weak and you are strong, because that's the heart of the gospel. And so we continue to pursue the Lord through the Scriptures. It's interesting too, isn't it? He says, agree with one another, pursue this collectively. We're so individualistic in so many ways. Uh, And even in things like our devotions, I'll use that term, you know, we, we have our, our private devotions, and we oftentimes use that as the basis for our life. Like, what is God telling me? Uh, you know, that God has a word for me. Now, I don't mean to completely discount that, and we need to have times of private worship, right? That's part of our, our life. But, but Paul emphasizes here the importance of doing this together. The importance of getting around other Christians and studying the Word. Why? Because we are not wholly sufficient in and of ourselves. And we need, I need you to help me see more clearly. I love preparing for a sermon in community, you know, with other people around and getting their insights because I am not wholly sufficient and you are not wholly sufficient, you know. So, Yes, this is a commercial for Bible studies. You know, uh, you know make that part of your, your life. And I know so many of us struggle with time, right? And we're like, well, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for this. Well, what are you making time for? It's not a matter of not having time. I mean, let's just throw that out the door, right? Uh, it's a matter of what we make priority. It's a matter of what we do make time for. And Paul says this is important. Uh, pursue with one another the Word of God. And then allow it to test yourself. He says that in verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize that, you know, some of the things that they have been talking about, and they they were taking a very common position. It's common even now. We want to make God prove himself to us, and that's where the Corinthians were, right? They, they wanted to make God prove himself to them uh, via making Paul prove himself to them, and Paul turns it around and says, look it, you've got it all wrong. You know, you, you are standing, you know, in the judgment seat over the word, over the church, over the truth. But the reality is, you stand in the dock under those things. And, and so Paul comes back and he says, examine yourselves. You know, don't be looking at everything and everyone else with a critical eye. Or at least not any more of a critical eye than when you look at yourself. You see, and that's part of the secret to community. When we really pursue this, when we really examine ourselves, we live in the truth. And the truth is this, we don't deserve anything that we have in Christ. It's free mercy. And so therefore, you know, going back to what Bonhoeffer was saying, I don't have to stand in judgment on you. I don't have to stand in judgment on the failures of the church. And I know that this is something that's keeping a lot of people away from the church. You know, it's the way that the church has failed them, the way that the church has failed in the world. And I'm not saying that these things aren't true. They are absolutely true. And, and we need to own that as the church. But part of the freedom of what Paul is saying here is when we own that, we go back to the scriptures that says we are accepted in Christ. And it's not the works of our own hands. And it's despite the fact that we are sinful and continually disappoint ourselves, others, it's despite all of that that God comes to us and says, I have chosen to set my affections on you. And you now have your life in Christ. So Paul says, live in the truth. It's the truth that will truly set you free. You know, when we live in the truth, we find out both how wretched and how wicked and how undeserving we are, but we also simultaneously find out how loved, accepted, forgiven we are in Christ. It knocks us down and lifts us up at the same time. Woe is me and hallelujah exists you know, coterminously, because that is the reality of who we are in Christ. And that's where he goes with this last idea. We are the joyful community. Finally, brothers and sisters, he says, rejoice. Now, uh, there are a couple, of, uh, a couple of translation notes here. One is the word restoration, aim for restoration, aim for being brought together. Uh, Some of your translations may say perfection. There is a word for perfection. We usually use telos for that. It's not telos. This is a word that's also used for the mending of nets uh, that uh, the disciples were doing when Jesus came up. Uh, upon them. It it seems to be more for coming together, being fixed, being restored, I think is a good translation. And then this uh, opening phrase here, finally, brothers, uh, rejoice. Some of you may have a translation that says, goodbye. Uh, And that is okay. Uh, the, the, The same Greek word there, it's coming out of charis, love, uh, it can be used as a greeting. But in both cases, Paul is connecting these ideas. For restoration, we go back to, to verse 9, your restoration is what we pray for. Uh, in verse 11, he says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Seems to be picking up again, verse 9, where he says, we are glad, we rejoice when we are weak. And, and so Paul is very clearly saying, let Joy, mark your community. And this makes sense. I mean, we're walking through this, right? And and we understand joy. Why? Because we are recipients of all of the promises and all of the finished work of Christ. How is it that we can think about being restored? How is it that we can think about, you know, the, the ripped, teared, you know, parts of who we are being mended and being made whole again outside of the finished work of Christ who became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of Christ, in order that we might be restored, in order that we might shine like jewels, in order that we might resound to the praise of His glorious grace, not the praise of our ability to keep the law, or to uphold a set of morals, that, that's not the Christian religion. You know, Not what we're saying with Christianity is that we are recipients of all of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting here as well, you know, a couple of the verbs that he uses, uh, comfort one another, agree with one another, they both can be translated in the passive. Uh, be comforted. You know, be in agreement with one another. These are, and and even the the restoration has a passive sense to it. These are things that God does for us. You know, God does this in our hearts, in our lives. Uh, You say, but, you know, don't we pursue these things? Yes. You know, we've talked about this before. This is Schaefer's idea of active passivity, you know, where we rest in the finished work of Christ, but it's an active resting. We throw ourselves on the finished work of Christ. And and this is what Paul is saying here. This joy, these promises where we are comforted, where we are restored, you know, these promises that come into our community through no deserving of our own, these promises are the source. This is the bubbling up. How can I love You know, somebody who's marked by racism and hatred, but who has found their way into the community and is seeking to turn from that wicked way of thinking, how can I possibly love that person when I realize what I've been delivered from, when I realize the comfort and the restoration that I have received in Christ, when I have seen the look of, of Jesus, the look that he gave Peter after Peter denied him. Jesus cast that look on him, and Peter, for the rest of his life, I'm sure, you know, quickly had to repent of any judgment that he ever gave to anybody else, right? Because he knew what it was to be restored by the gospel of Jesus. The second thing that we'll note here is the joyful community. Not only do we have the promises of God, the promises of the gospel, but we have His very presence. I think I pointed out to you before, Paul always begins his letters in a particular way and he ends them in a particular way. He always begins his letters by saying, grace to you. How does he end his letters? what does it say? Grace with you. Here is the, the beauty of a preposition, right? For all of you English majors, the beauty of a preposition is that with means with. With means it's inside of us. It means we are brought into, in this case, the very fellowship of the Trinity, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You know, this Trinity who existed before all time, this Trinity, grace, power, fellowship, love be with you. How are you going to truly be the community? How are we truly going to be the community that expresses this? We're not going to do it on our own, that's for sure. Because, you know, like Bonhoeffer's wish dream guy, we'll just mess it all up. Because we'll bring our own expectations, we'll bring our own ideas of what community ought to look like, and usually it ought to look like me. But Paul says this. You have the very presence and power and love of the Trinity with you as you go. One writer talking about the restoration that we experience talks about it Trinitarianly, but restoring the communion is what the life, death, and resurrection of Christ was all about. United to Him by faith, we are again welcomed into the dance of the Trinity Welcomed in love. Welcomed because we belong. Brothers and sisters, we've come to the end of 2 Corinthians, but Paul isn't sending us out whimpering. He's sending us out rejoicing because of the power that is ours, the belonging that is ours, In Jesus Christ. And he encourages us to be here. To shatter all those other ideas of community that we have. But to truly live here. In the hope, the joy, the restoration that is ours in the Lord Jesus. May it be so. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us. For we know we need your help. Pray that you would uh, make us humble, uh, make us whole, increase uh, the, the paltry love that we have for others, increase it to the magnanimous love that you have for us. Lord, we know we cannot do this on our own, but we believe that with you all things are possible. We ask now that you would do this for our comfort, but also that this good news, this comfort would be shared with all people for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.